everybody, welcome to the export. I am Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka somebody who I'm sure was more stressed than anybody watching the conclusion of the Commanders and Titans game. How you doing today, Ethan? I'm good, and yeah, no, no lie. So like, I work, I work for my church, and so I typically don't get a chance to watch like full games anymore because the titans always have like the earlier time slot mm -hmm. so like i got home literally on the last drive and when christian fullerton got their pi call it took everything in me to not throw my phone because i was that mad look i've been there I totally understand, but luckily, y'all came out on the losing side. I mean, the winning side of things. My Ravens won, which makes up for the fact that Memphis lost a heartbreaker and LSU got their butts kicked. But we got a cool show for you guys today. Of course, we are going to talk about the current standings of the 1-4 Las Vegas Raiders and if the marriage between Devontae Adams and Derek Carr is working out as well as we thought it would. Moving on to the NBA, we are going to break down the Western Conference, just like we did last week with the Eastern Conference, and close things out with our recap of WWE's Extreme Rules. But before we get to any of that, Please sure check out the export.net. I repeat, the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So without further ado, let's kick this thing off with the college football player spotlight. And this week we are going to show some love to the defensive side of the ball. More specifically, Iowa senior linebacker Jack Campbell. Proven All-American, had a great game this past week against Illinois despite the team's loss, had eight tackles and a fumble recovery. I mean, pretty much when you look up a Mike linebacker, he is the prototype, everything you want. And let's be honest, there are quite a few teams in the league that could use some firepower in the middle of their defense. So, Ethan, in your opinion, who do you think Jack Campbell would be a good fit for? Uh, honestly, I'm going to show your team some love. I'm going to say Baltimore. I know it's been numerous of times where you stated, especially when Roquan Smith was looking like he might be traded, um, that you would love to add a another difference maker linebacker with the Ravens. And I think that that's something that I agree with, like especially now seeing the season unfold. They their defense as a whole hasn't been looking great. Their secondary has hasn't looked great. But the thing that's been surprising is their run defense hasn't been that good. And, like, that's been a staple of the Ravens' defense for years. Like, I remember, I think, one it was one game a couple years ago I watched where they hadn't had a 100-yard rusher in, like, four years. And, like, I think that I would put him next to Patrick Queen and maybe fortify their run defense in Baltimore. That would be beautiful. I would I would like that a lot, especially because, yeah, the run defense, uh, it's been weird. Like, some games we've looked cool. Like, the Dolphins game was fine. The Jets game was, uh, this past game wasn't great. Um, yeah, no, it's not pretty. And it's unfortunate because it seems like as the secondary looks like it's starting to come together, the run defense is starting to take some stuff back. So, hopefully that will change. I think Jack Campbell will be an awesome part of that 
Uh, for me, I'm going to say the New York Giants. I think we're talking a lot about the Giants, you know, them being 4-1, which is great. But I don't necessarily love their defense. I think that there are some moves that can be made to kind of improve that group. And I think if you look at the group as a whole, probably their biggest weakness is at that linebacker position. And while Tay Crowder is solid, it didn't work out with Blake Martinez. They have a hole in that position. I think Jack Campbell could be that guy for him. But all right, let's go ahead and recap week five because it was a doozy. Starting things off with Thursday Night Football, the best game of all time. The Indianapolis Colts edged out the Denver Broncos 12-9 to in overtime. Uh, Gr- Green Bay loses over the Pines to the Giants 27-22. to Patriots shut out the Lions 29-0. to the Buffalo Bills defeat the Steelers 38-3, to giving Mike Tomlin his worst loss. Uh, the Jets beat up on the Dolphins 40-17. to Bucks survive Falcons 21-15. Saints beat the Seahawks 39-32. to Texans defeat the Jaguars 13-6. to Your Titans survived against the Commanders 21-17. Uh, my... The Minnesota Vikings defeated conference, I mean division rival Bears 29 to 22. Chargers barely make it out of Cleveland alive 30 to 28. Uh 49ers have no problems with the Carolina Panthers 37 to 15. Cowboys beat Rams 22 to 10. Eagles win a close one against the Cardinals 20 to 17. Justin Tucker the GOAT brings Baltimore back to defeat the Cincinnati Bengals Sunday Night Football 19-17. And finally, the Chiefs defeat the Raiders in a controversial 30-29 Monday Night victory. For the week, I went 7-9. Ethan, you got the win this week going 9-7. and And here are some injury news, starting off with my Ravens. Unfortunately, we're going to lose safety Marcus Williams for at least four weeks after he was put on IR with a dislocated wrist, which freaking sucks. Seahawks lose starting running back Rashad Penny for the rest of the year with a broken fibula. 49ers lose cornerback Emmanuel Mosley for the year with a torn ACL. And then the Denver Broncos, for yet another week, are bitten by the injury bug. They're losing starting left tackle Garrett Bowles and starting cornerback Ronald Darby for the year both with lower body injuries and to top it all off apparently Russell Wilson has been has suffered a partially torn lat in his shoulder which he sustained in the Raiders game but continues to play through for whatever reason so Ethan we're going to talk a lot about the Broncos I'm sure but kind of looking at Russ's injury and with the severity of it and how it could affect his play do you think Russ is making the right decision playing through it or do you think that he should sit out I think he should sit out. Um, a big reason why is because, as we saying, like him playing through it hasn't really, um, like it hasn't improved their play. Yeah. Like he hasn't been like the Russell Wilson of old. Um, and maybe if you bring in a guy that's healthier, obviously he might not be the same level of quarterback as a fully healthy Russell Wilson. But like, you like you watched, especially you watched the Indianapolis game, and like I heard people talking about it. They were saying like Russell didn't even have the zip on the ball that you normally see from him when he's healthy. Yeah, and if that's an issue when you're a quarterback and you're trying to win ball games, like if you can't have the same throwing power that you that you're used to generating, like how can you make those big time throws to win games? So maybe just sitting out, and it's also like. To be fair, you you already have your extension. You made your big payday 
like they gave you your money, why risk further injury that can hinder your play in the future when you already have your bag? And like, granted, there's some questions around Russell Wilson as being a lead quarterback right now, but if you're able to stop, if you're able to say you rest out, you see, you heal up, and you come back and you ball out, those those naysayers can be silenced. Yeah, you and I are in total agreement. I think that he should sit out. Um, I know that Russ isn't the type of guy who wants to sit out games. I mean, after having thumb surgery last year, those three games that he missed was the first career games he's missed since coming to the NFL. And, I mean, I understand you want to – I know he wants to battle his way back and kind of get this team back on track, and I get it, especially with the quarterback. Like, you want to be a part of your team's success. But at this point, I feel like it's only going to get worse, and I feel like the injuries are only going to get exasperated the more that he plays. So I'm in agreement with you. I think that he should sit out. Um, And then, look, if they have success with him out, great. You come back healthy. You help make them better. And if they look still look bad when you're out there, when you're not out there, then, I mean, A, they're going to recognize it's all not all on Russ. But I agree with you. I think he should sit out as well. But, all right, let's go ahead and move on to our top five takeaways of the week. Ethan, you can start us off with your number five. My number five, um, the Green Bay Packers, I know I feel like I think I've said this last week, but the Green Bay Packers are really in trouble. I think, um, like, losing that game to the Giants, it, it, it just exposed a lot of things that I saw when I saw, like, highlights and, like, some film of the game. Like, that defense that we thought was going to be great, they haven't been – they haven't even been good so far. Yeah. Um, and when you're in these, these flux with their offense where Aaron Rodgers is trying to build – continuity with his receivers you you are hoping to lean on their defense and lean on their run game and play like um, positional football to where one you kind of complement each other and it just looked like neither the offense or the defense has really clicked and like that's that's a bad thing because now it brings up the, the question of like how, if this last any longer in the offseason. We've already heard Aaron Rodgers talk about he wants to he wanted to get traded numerous of times. And this one they were winning games. So just imagine what it could be like if they have a losing season or a, a decent slash like five hundred season what we could be hearing in the offseason. Yeah, and I mean another thing, Aaron has seen pretty non-committal to plan for a few more many more years so i i said it before the year started i thought that this was going to be his last year and in a recent press conference he mentioned like the development of these receivers that they have now is going to play a big role if he decides to come back and based off what i've seen so far i'd i'd be shocked if he came back next year all right uh my number five i'm gonna stick with my baltimore ravens and i'm gonna say wide receiver devin duvernay has been one of the league's breakout stars last year he was an all pro uh 
based on his return ability. And this year, he's doing a little bit of both. I mean, we all know. Everybody was wondering what Baltimore's receiving core was going to look like after trading Hollywood Brown. And truthfully, it really hasn't been bad. Of course, Mark, is, Mark Andrews is always going to be the guy, but Rashad Bateman has stepped up. But Devin DuVernay has been a really pleasant surprise. And not only was he doing it through the air last game, but he also had some rushing plays too. So I'm excited to see how they continue to use him throughout the offense, especially because he has potential to be kind of used in a Debo Samuel type role. Oh, my number four is, excuse me, has the, has the boomer bust mindset for the Los Angeles Rams finally bit them in the, bit them in the butt? Um, we, we know that they're defending Super Bowl champions and we know the families quote, um, if them picks, um, and they went out and they got an OBJ, they went out and got a, a Vaughn Miller, um, and it, it came to fruition. They got a Super Bowl, but I think right now a big thing that you're noticing is that some of the picks that they might have given up, they could have used to like draft certain positional needs. Offense alignment for yeah. sure. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. offense alignment is bad. Yeah, like you could have used like some of those second round picks that you gave up, you could have used to draft some offensive alignment and um and um like develop them. And maybe they could be serviceable because right now, like everyone's talking about how they don't have any receiver outside of Cooper Cup, but they can't block. Right. For Magic Stafford to even look at somebody besides Cooper Cup. So, yeah, I think that this finally bite them in the foot. Feel you. All right, keeping things in the AFC North, my next takeaway is it may not show this season, but the Steelers made the right move in drafting Kenny Pickett. I think that a lot of people are a bit surprised that Kenny Pickett was the first and only quarterback to go in the first round. But, I mean, I think that aside from the potential that everybody saw, like I believe he had the highest floor of any quarterback in this year's class. But factoring in as well the fact that the kid is tough. Like, I know a lot of people aren't just sitting and watching Pittsburgh games while he, when he was in college, but, I mean, he showed a lot of potential, showed some athleticism. He made some really good decisions, and I think that that toughness and that heart is really starting to translate over to the NFL. Yes, the Bills kicked their butt, but, I mean, the Bills kicked have kicked a lot of teams' butt. But one thing I will respect about Kenny Pickett is the fact that he didn't give up because, in truth, it's not his fault that they lost that game. He didn't play amazing. But, I mean, the fact that the, they could not run the ball. Najee Harris has been a non-factor. Receivers were dropping the ball. And then, most importantly, their defense was non-existent. You can only do so much. So, I respect Kenny Pickett in his heart. And I think that while it's going to be a bit of a slow burn, they made the right move drafting. Um, my number three is uh, I really hope that a pivotal, a pivotal game isn't going to be decided by apparent this new apparent look at rushing the passer. Um, and it, and like we're going, I know we're going to talk about the Chiefs and the Raiders a little bit later, but like that was another incident to where that was a key moment that could have played a it played a huge part in the game. And like I don't want to look up a couple months from now. And it's in the playoffs, and you have that that moment that you always love as a football fan, whereas you have a team driving down the field, and you have a quarterback trying to make a comeback, 
and you have a defense that's trying to shut the door, and the defense gets to stop, and then it gets negated for a rushing the pass a penalty. And I understand that a lot of it has come in the wake of the concussion situation from with Tua. But these past these past couple of sacks that they call like rough, and I honestly have never heard a rough in the past call on a sack. I've always heard them call when people were throwing the ball and you hit them after they threw the ball. Um, so yeah, I just hope that they're able to like figure that out because I don't want like a playoff game to be decided by a call um, such as rough in the past. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the Raiders and uh, Chiefs game, which was huge. But, I mean, also the Falcons and Bucks game. That yeah. sack gave the uh, Bucks a first down to essentially end the game. Had they not have called that penalty, they would have been forced to punt. And then Atlanta would have had a chance to win that game. So, no, nah, it was two very questionable calls. And I, it's unfortunate because I understand what the league is trying to do with regards to Tua Tagovailoa's situation and trying to protect the quarterback. But also, you have to protect the defensive players. And like I said, like you mentioned, we're going to get to it a bit later. But, yeah, it, it definitely played big roles in two games this this uh, this weekend. Hopefully, they'll chill out with the calls. Um, number three, the Jets rookie class is already rising above the rest. I mean, when you have three first-round picks, you're expected to hit on at least a couple of them. And so far, the Jets have gotten big returns from all three of their guys. Brees Hall had nearly 200 yards from scrimmage this past year. Sauce, I mean, past week, Sauce Gardner got his first interception of his NFL career, played tremendously against Miami. You can say it was against a third-string quarterback all you want to, but still, the kid had a good game. Jermaine Johnson already has a sack and a half this year. I mean, the Jets, this is what your team is supposed to look like when you get draft picks and invest in bringing in young talent. You're going to have that success, and that's exactly what they've had. Um, for me, my number two is I'm a firm believer that after this season, first, if he's still in the NFL, he will not be a starting quarterback. But I'm highly, I highly believe that he might not even be a backup. This is the last season that Carson Wentz is going to see the NFL field because, yeah, his play has been really, really bad. And granted, it took a tremendous interception by David Long for my Titans to beat the Commanders. But, like, he, since he's left Philly, every stop that he's gone to, he hasn't shown any of the signs that he's a, a guy that you want to lead your team from a on-the-field on perspective. And I think, like, once his tenure is up in Washington after this season, I think Washington might release him. And he might be done because he just had he just had really bad play. All right, so to play devil's advocate, you're the Titans, right? Ryan Tannehill's uh-huh. off, off to whatever. Malik Willis is not on the roster. You have to pick between two quarterbacks next year: Carson Wentz or Baker Mayfield. And they Baker. St- Baker. It's hard because they're both terrible. Um. I think I'd I think I'd go Baker too. Would I? Oh no, they're both terrible. I think I'd go Baker too, but I it'd be a real long, long process. All right, uh, number two for me. We are nearing the days of Tony Pollard becoming the Cowboys' lead running back. 
the first few years of Ezekiel Elliott's career were amazing. He could literally do just about no wrong on the field. He was continuously getting rushing lane and scoring mad touchdowns. He looked remarkable. But these past few years, it has not been the same Zeke. But luckily, the Cowboys have had Tony Pollard in tow, who has really been shining this past game. He led all rushers in the game with 86 yards, as well as had a long touchdown where, I mean, it was he broke, what, three or four tackles on that play? It was a tremendous play. And, I mean, Ethan, you and I know we watched Tony Pollard in Memphis. We knew how explosive he was, even when he was playing wide receiver. And so the fact that he's come to Dallas and had a big impact, I think that as he continues to be great and Zeke is struggling, because, for example, Zeke had 22 carries for just 78 yards. Tony Pollard had 86 yards and eight carries. I know he had that big play, but still, I mean, Numbers don't lie. And so because of that, I just think we are getting closer and closer to Zeke's time as the star in Dallas coming to an end. Yeah. Before I get to my number one, I actually agree, I agree wholeheartedly with that. The only thing is, I I don't want Tony Parler to become like the definitive number one back. I do want him kind of in the running back by committee. Just getting just more carries. Yeah, and like that's and, uh, and ultimately that's what's wrong with Zeke. Like when Zeke first came into the league, they they gave him so many carries. Like he was getting three hundred plus carries a season, and yes, he was producing at a high level with those carries. But now that he's a little bit older, like you can tell, like he doesn't have the same burst that he used to have when he was a little bit younger. Um. He doesn't break tackles the way that he used to when he was young. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he's like, he was the sole back in the beginning portion of his career. And I don't want, like, I don't want it to become his thing with Tony Parler, where it's like, oh, he's making splash plays whenever he touches the ball. Like, let's give him the ball 20 plus times and, like, run him down to the ground. I wanted to. Be, I still want to see him kind of like in the even out ratio of carries. Right. Like, so that's my only thing with that. Like, I don't want to see him overused. And then we look up in a couple years, and it's like, oh, well, everyone talked about how great he is, and now he's he looks average. Yeah. No, I feel you on that. All right. What's your number one takeaway of the week? My number one takeaway of the week is. Defenses are defenses are carrying some of these surprise teams. Um, I know everyone attributes a lot of. And when I say surprise teams, I'm more so talking about the Cowboys, the Giants, and even the Jets to an extent. Like, yes, the Jets do have some really good weapons on offense, but their defense has been falling out as well. Um, and that's just a for me. It's being a guy that loves defense. Like as a defensive-minded person, when it comes down to football, I love it. And I think the hard thing is, is like as the season progresses, we see we can see sometimes that like that it might not be the full-on recipe to like win a lot of games, but you can win pivotal games. Like I'm thinking about, for instance, like the Cowboys. Yes, we we know that Dak Prescott probably won't be playing this Sunday night. But, like, all it takes, because the Eagles have a good defense as well, so all it takes is, like, hey, 
The Eagles have Jalen Hurts, who looks like he's going to be in the MVP conversation. The Cowboys have Cooper Rush. If the Eagles are able to slow Tony Pollard and Zeke, and Jalen Hurts makes one or two plays, they could call, they could be the deciding factor of the game. Um, but I love it because you know, like I said, I'm a defensive first guy. But I think that's the only downside to having like teams led by defenses is when it's a when it's those stalemate games, you need that quarterback to potentially make a play. Yeah. I um yeah I, I do totally agree with you. I think kind of going back to that game Thursday night game when the Colts defense played lights out the Broncos defense will play lights out it's just it really just came down to who made less mistakes and I think that while it's great seeing amazing defenses it's still hard to really go far with teams like that just because if a team can etch out two or three drives where they can score points it's gonna be hard to top it all right my number one is probably a bit controversial but I don't I don't care um the Devontae Adams to Devontae Adams and Derek Carr reunion should not have happened. And the reason why I say that is because, yes, Devontae Adams had a really good game, three catches for 124 yards and two touchdowns. That's awesome. But I do think that the Raiders were better when they spread the ball out more. When you had to worry about Hunter Renfro, when you had to worry about Darren Waller, and then sometimes like a Zay Jones would go out and make plays or Josh Jacobs being in the backfield. Not saying with every offense, when you have a star wide receiver or like a, in the Chiefs case, a star tight end that everybody knows the ball is going to, that's a bad thing. But I think that because the Raiders, or more specifically Derek Carr, knows Devontae Adams so well and is so used to getting him the ball, it stops him from throwing the ball elsewhere. Because balls are going anywhere else, it stops the progression of the offense. Like, for example, Devontae Adams had seven targets. The only other wide receiver who was targeted in that game was Hunter Renfro, who had four targets. Everything else went to running backs and tight ends, and then he had a target to his fullback. And even with Darren Waller out, I mean, you do have Matt Collins, who is coming off of, what, a 100-plus yard game against Tennessee not too long ago. I believe he had a good game last week as well. And I think that for the Raiders, because obviously they can put up points. That's not a problem. But if you can't spread the ball around in this league, you're not going to win games because once they shut down that option, you're screwed. And so even though everybody was just so hyping up the Raiders and hyping up Devontae and Derek Carr getting back together, it has not worked out because they don't know how, or at least Derek Carr has not found a way to spread the ball out rather than just continuing to feed Devontae Adams. But yeah, that's my takeaway. Anything you want to add before we move on to anything? Or I mean, I think that's been an issue with a couple of teams this year. Like, I mentioned the Rams earlier. Yeah. I think this is a big thing where it's like, yes, I understand. Like, they don't have the time. He doesn't necessarily maybe have the amount of time to make all of his reads. But he isn't, like, spreading the ball around. Like, I think the best, one of the best games offensively that they had was a game where Allen Robinson had a good amount of catches just as much as Cooper Cook. And it looked like Matthew Stafford spread the ball around. I think that was the Falcons game, right? Yeah. 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 I don't care what anybody says. Allen Robinson is a good wide receiver. Very. Um, And, like, they can talk about they don't have anybody next to Cooper Cook. If 
you're not throwing the ball in these man's direction after he made plays. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and like even with um, shoot, who is it? Uh, also, fun fact: uh, Allen Robinson was only was targeted five times, had three catches for twelve yards. That's I want to say that's the most targets he's had like in the past few weeks. Yeah, but I'm trying to think of the other quarterback that's locked in. They seem to be locked in on one receiver. I can't remember who it is. The the thing is though, like uh, I'll say this: with other star quarterbacks, let's see what. Let me not say star quarterback, star wide receivers. We saw it with Minnesota. Justin Jefferson ate. Jeff, Je- Justin Jefferson went crazy. But I'll give Kirk Cousins credit to where when he needed other passes, because, of course, the Bears were honing in on Jay Jettas, he went to K.J. Osborne, went to Adam Thielen. Irv Smith got some. The Bills, they go crazy. Everybody knows Stephon Diggs is always Josh Allen's go-to target, but he knows how to also factor in Dawson Knox and Gabe Davis into the equation as well. Rams, Prior to last year, they were still finding a way to get the ball out. This year, no. And I think that's why you look at, you see the Raiders are 1-4. and four. You see the Rams are, what, 2-3 and three now. Teams like that, they're struggling. I'm trying to think of who else you might be talking about in terms of, like, one read, maybe? Well, honestly, this was, I can say this, this was before um, that got hurt with the Cowboys. Oh, like, yeah, C.D. Lamb. Yeah, that first game against Tampa Bay, he only looked for CeeDee Lamb. And, like, yes, CeeDee Lamb had a good game, but, like, he didn't spread the ball around. No, not at all. And then, I mean, I could even say Russ is a bit guilty of that, too. Because, I mean, everybody knows on third down, if it's a pass, it's going to Cortland Sutton. And rightfully so, he's been their best wide receiver. But, I mean, you still want to see stuff out of Jerry Judy, even though drops have been a bit of a problem. K.J. Hamler, you don't really know what you have in him yet. But, yeah, it's a, it's a problem. But I think it looks worse for the Raiders because it's the most high-profile tandem. I think that's where the problem really comes. But, all right, let's go ahead and talk the most impressive and dis- most impressive offensive and defensive players of the week. For me, offensively, I'm going with Taysom Hill. Technically, he's a tight end, but the man literally did everything this past week. He ran for three touchdowns on nine carries and had also had 112 rushing yards. He also threw for a 22-yard passing touchdown and had a fun recovery on special teams. There is no bigger definition of Swiss Army knife than Taysom Hill, and he played a huge role in their win this past weekend. Oh, for me, I got to go with Chiefs tight end. Travis Kelsey. Kill the I mean, the man had four touchdowns. That's all you need to say. Fair. Low-key, a very close option for me was Gabe Davis. Because, I mean, 98-yard touchdown, that's impressive. But <laughs> the touchdown he ripped away from Minka Fitzpatrick, oh, wild. All right, uh, my most impressive defensive player is going to Broncos outside linebacker Baron Browning. Getting the start in place of an injured Randy Gregory, the – Former Ohio State Buckeye made the most of it. He had five tackles, two tackles for loss, a sack and a half, as well as six quarterback hits. He was giving Matt Ryan the absolute blues. Um, for me, I'm going with Titans linebacker David Long, simply for the fact that if he didn't make the interception, they lost the game. Yeah, and nobody wants to lose. I get that. All right, moving on to the most de- most disappointing player, I hate to do it, but I I have to be impartial, and I gotta say it was Russ. 
I understand your shoulder is hurt, you're injured, you should probably be sitting out. I get that. But both of his interceptions came at the worst possible times. Had they uh, not thrown it on, what, fourth down to end the game, if they were just ran it, they probably would have won the game. We're talking about a different story. Instead, pass breakup costly. I'm sorry, it wasn't two interceptions, but costly pass breakup by Stephon Gilmore, who had a terrific night. Then you look at the interception he threw it in regulation, where another case where they could have just ended the game, bad throw and costly throw. I mean, Russ is a much better quarterback than Thursday night show, which is why it was so disappointing to see him have such a bad game. Um, for me, my most disappointing has to be Najee Harris. Um, yeah, primarily because he's on my fantasy team. Yeah, and you feel those it's, more. <laughs> it's been bad, and uh, like I think going into the season, yes, we do still have obviously had questions on their O line, and obviously had questions at quarterback. But it's something that we. Going into the season, we kind of banked on as a shit and for boss, everything around him was good. We were still going to be able to get a good Najee. And that just happened. He was good for one game, and I think it was the Browns game. Maybe two, at most. And that just hasn't been the case. So I got to go with Najee. Yeah, it has not been pretty. All right, and then rookie of the week for me, this was an easy one. I'm going Jets running back Brees Hall. Like I mentioned earlier, had 197 yards from scrimmage and a touchdown. Really played a huge role in that victory over Miami. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in the greens. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to some news around the league. Starting off with the Atlanta Falcons and the Cleveland Browns. Atlanta sends veteran linebacker and former Pro Bowler Deion Jones to the Browns in a seventh-round pick in exchange for just a sixth-round pick, which is just so disrespectful. I understand he's got a big contract, but, I mean, Deion Jones is a bad man. And, I mean, considering how bad the Browns' defense has played in recent weeks, it's a great addition for them. Uh, continuing on with some former LSU Tigers, it's pretty clear that the Rams and Odell may be headed towards a never-ending divorce. Reason I say that is because fans, and myself included, have been clamoring for a reunion between the two. However, Odell Beckham took to social media to tweet this. L.A. knows where I, where I wanted to be, but they didn't offer me anything. So I don't know what people want me to do. I def know my worth, and what the offer was isn't reflective of that. So it's tough to say that I can come on back even though I finally thought I found a home. While Sean McVay in a recent press conference said that was not the team's final offer to Odell, it's not what you want to hear from one of the pivotal, most pivotal players on your playoff run. However, there's another team talking Odell, and that is the Green Bay Packers, who Aaron Rodgers in a recent if interview spoke specifically on Odell and said, I'm always going to be for adding anybody to our squad who can help us win. Whether or not we need an OBJ, who knows? But I like the person, love the player, and just want him to be healthy, honestly. So, Ethan, let's say the Rams really are out of the equation for Odell. Do you think that... Odell and Green Bay will be a good fit. Uh, I'm going to say yes initially, but I'm going to have the caveat on this. How how is he going to look as he comes back from a second ACL injury on the same knee? Yeah. 
Like, there's a big thing. Like, and I believe there's a big reason why the Rams didn't offer him the money that he might have looked for is because, like, bro, when you came to the Rams, you were signed, you were essentially getting signed to be their third wide receiver. Like, Odell is really, like, right now in his career, Odell is a slot receiver. And yes, he does have, he still has some dynamic playmaking capability, but we don't know what you're going to look like after having, like I just said, like, you have two ACL injuries on the same knee. Right. Um, so, from the standpoint of, like, if he comes back and he's fully healthy and he looks the way that he looked when he played for the Rams, yes. If he comes back and he slowed down a little bit, I'm going to throw a toss up because I don't know. I think if there is any team that should just take a chance on a wide receiver, I think it would be the Packers. Like, I understand you got rookies, Romeo Dobbs and uh, Christian Watkins, who you're, Watson, who you're trying to bring along. But it's just, with a veteran quarterback, it's it's not working. Something is not clicking. They're not developing um, in the timely manner that you want them to. And so because of that, honestly, I would not be shocked if they just said, screw it. If they just decided to bring in a guy like Odell, especially because they do need they need a spark. They need something to get this group going because, unfortunately, it's just it hasn't been happening. There has not been – it just has not been working. And I think that even if with an Odell, there are definitely questions about the ACL, but from all indications, it seemed like the second surgery he had cleaned up some of the uh, issues that were, that were taking place in the first surgery. Apparently everything wasn't done right or whatever. I'm not totally sure. But either way, I mean, if this is a sign that things are supposed to be better, all I can necessarily hope is that it is better. So we shall see. Um, but I do think it'll be a good fit. I mean, it seems like the Packers are, like you said, they're, they do look to be in trouble, especially offensively. And if a, a guy like Odell can come in and lead the charge, I think that you got to take what you can get. But let's go ahead and move on to the Carolina Panthers, who honestly are blowing it up. Following a 1-4 start to the season, they have announced that they have parted ways with head coach Matt Rule, which low-key isn't necessarily the end of the world for Rule because on the one hand, he's probably going to go back to college where he did have much more success as head coaches at Temple and Baylor, but also because the Panthers will owe him a whopping $40 million still after signing him to a huge contract um, before the start, but to get him in Carolina in the first place. And then in addition to that, they will be without, they also fired their defensive coordinator, Phil Snow, and special teams coach, Ed Foley. As of now, secondary coach uh, Steve Wilkes, also former head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, will take over as their interim head coach for the rest of the year. Oh, and by the way, um, Baker Mayfield has suffered a high ankle sprain and is expected to miss at least a couple of weeks, which makes P.J. Walker the starter. So, Ethan, like I said, it's a lot going on in Carolina right now. So, let's just start off with the Matt Rule situation. How do you feel about that firing? Do you think they gave up on him too early, or was it the right call? I'm torn. A part of me thinks that they did give up on him too soon because, quite honestly, when you're two starting quarterbacks are Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield, that's not why you – like, you – me, me personally, I would not think you're going to win a lot of football games. Right. Um, but on the same, on the other side of that coin, when you look at the talent that the Carolina Panthers have, 
especially on the offensive side of the football. Wendy's healthy, Christian McCaffrey, um, DJ Moore, and um, always Robbie Anderson. Like, that's a good triplet of wide receivers and running backs. And, yeah, so it's like, I think if he had a, like, let's say, if he had, I won't even say like a super great quarterback. Oh, I'm trying to think of a middle of the road quarterback this good. But Kirk Cousins. Kirk. Yeah, if he had a Kirk Cousins or a Ryan Tannehill for that instance, guys that are that that can win you a game or two, but they aren't the the, the franchise quarterbacks per se. Like, if you had one of those guys, I think that the Panthers would be in a drastically different situation just because the quarterback play between Baker and Sam Donald has been so bad. But I think that, you know, the NFL is a results-driven league. So regardless of who you have on your team, people expect you to win games. And when you don't do that, getting fired is a consequence of losing games. So, yeah. Yeah, and with what a little over two seasons under his belt, his overall record was eleven and twenty-seven, and so yeah, like I feel what you're saying about like maybe giving up on him a little bit too soon, just because I mean, it's it's sad because the Panthers do have talent on both sides of the ball, but if you can't get your quarterback right, it's not gonna work, and so I think that's what we really saw in Carolina, and so. And while I can't totally put that on him, because I mean he can only say he only has so much say in terms of personnel. You it like you said, the NFL is a results driven league. So if you're not getting the results that you need, you're not gonna win games. And you're essentially you're not gonna keep your job. So yeah. I mean, I see why it happened. I kinda wish they would have given him a little bit more time, but if you are the Panthers, you gotta do something. Because it's not like you can just throw Baker Mayfield away mainly because Sam Donald's hurt and so if they were to bench I feel like it would be they would have caught more hell for just deciding to say F Baker Mayfield and benching him as opposed to firing Matt Rule I think that you can live with that a bit more despite the fact you still got to give him 40 million dollars which must be nice to get that much money after getting fired but you can sit on the couch and live life literally like to get fired Man, I ain't saying it's right, but there are worse things you could do. Like, these coach buyouts have been insane in college and the NFL. So, clearly, you and I picked the wrong professions. But, all right, so, typically, when it seems like a team is heading towards a rebuild, it usually means that they are going to blow up the roster, which is why teams have begun to call the Panthers in hopes of attempting to make trades for their star players. And so Carolina can try to stockpile picks ahead of the next couple of drafts. So, Ethan, we've done this before. I don't remember. I think we did it with the Saints. But for the sake of conversation, your Tennessee Titans, you get on the line with the Carolina Panthers. If you could trade for any player on the bu- on the Panthers roster, who would it be? Uh, either DJ Moore or Christian McCaffrey. That's fair. I mean, it would be lethal seeing a running back duo of CMC and King Henry. That that'd be pretty dope. Uh, for me, of course, DJ Moore was up there. 
Because, I mean, he went to Maryland. Maryland kid. You know, let's come on to Baltimore. We could use you on the outside. But a very, very close second was Brian Burns. I think that Brian Burns is one of the most underrated edge rushers in this league. He's had a really good season thus far. It was one of the few defensive bright spots that the Panthers have had this year. So, yeah, either Brian Burns or DJ Moore for me. But... I'll switch him. Okay, go ahead. I'm switching my ass to Brian Burns. Yeah. You, you, you never have too many pass rushes. And then just think, uh, Harold Landry gets back next year. You got Brian Burns. And then you got, you know, Bud Dupree. That's that's a nice little uh, it's a nice little group. But, all right, let's go ahead and move on. I talked on uh, Mr. Adams a bit ago. But I didn't talk about this. Um, following the game, clearly he was frustrated. And on his way out of the Chiefs Stadium, he shoved down a staff photographer. Well, that's the photographer filed a police report, and now Devontae Adams has been cited for assault um, and is and it's misdemeanor assault. And so, yeah, so it's he's not going to go to jail or anything, but, yeah, Ethan, did you see the shove? And I know you and I will both say it didn't seem like that big of a deal, but can you blame the photographer? Because, look, you going to give me some money. I'm going to feign yeah, an injury. No, like, I, I saw the shows. And for me, like, looking at it, it don't look like that big of a deal. No. But then, when you think about it, Devontae Adams is still an NFL player. Right. And we all know, regardless of what position that you play, when you're in the NFL, you are a very strong human being. So... What might have looked like a regular shove to us probably isn't a regular shove. Um, and honestly, I just keep it a bang with you. You got to play me because you embarrass me on national TV. Yeah. Like, even because it's like, I didn't do nothing to you. I just was doing my job. And because you're mad because you lost, you just shoved me out the way. No, you have to, like... And I, I respect the cameraman for keeping I don't for keeping his cool because like me personally, if he would have shoved me like that, I probably would get fired because I probably try to fight Devontae Adams. Yeah, and I might lose, but I'm still gonna yeah. get paid. But no, like so yeah, you definitely have to give me like I don't the whole criminal charges thing. No, I understand the reason behind it because it's making it. It's drawing more attention to it. Yeah. But, like, it's one of the things where it's like, yeah, bro, you got to give me just all GP because I know you make so much money. You got to at least give me a couple thousand dollars. You're going to have to slide me, like, 20, 20 grand. Like, I I would flop as hard as LeBron does. Because if an NFL or a professional athlete pushed me down and did anything to me, I'm getting a fake neck brace. I'm putting my arm in the cast. I'm going to act like I. you would think I got ran over by a truck. By how much I'm gonna feign my injury, please. No, I'm not. I'll say this though: his his police report is much more credible than the uh 49 the guy from the 49ers game who got tackled by Bobby Wagner and tried to file a police report. This one is way more credible because dude didn't do nothing wrong. But yeah, no, he Devontae had to run me some money. But it does lead to a very interesting discussion of. In your opinion, who do you think misses the other more? Does Devontae miss Green Bay, or does Green Bay miss Devontae more? Green Bay misses Devontae. And the reason I say that is because if with the loss of Devontae Adams, 
like you said earlier, Aaron Rodgers might leave. And if that happens, then they go from being a perennial Super Bowl contender to a team that will be looked at like they could potentially, depending on the development of Joy Love, they could potentially make the playoffs or they could potentially be a lottery team. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on uh, on Green Bay. But I will say this. It is very, very clear that Devontae is frustrated because he hasn't lost four games in a regular season in Green Bay in years. Because I don't think they w- – I think they went 14-3 last year. They went 13-3 in years before. Like, he's not used to losing like this, especially this early in the season. So, nah, I think uh, I think that's leading to a lot of frustration for him. But on the whole, yeah, I do think Green Bay misses him more. Because like you said, I mean, I think that's going to play a really big role in him, whether or not he decides to stay in uh, – Aaron Rodgers, I mean, deciding to stay in uh, Green Bay. But all right, let's go ahead and move on. I have some interesting words coming out of uh, Washington. In a recent interview, uh, reporters asked Washington – uh, commanders head coach Ron Rivera if what the what was the reason why the commanders were being jumped in the NFC East as we all know Eagles are undefeated and the Giants and Cowboys are both four and one to which Ron Rivera responded that the biggest difference was quarterback so essentially he was throwing Carson Wentz under the bus while that response has been getting mixed reviews some people supporting Rivera because I mean Carson Wentz has as we all know been playing terrible but others are blaming coaching and etc but believable or buffoonery Carson Wentz is the biggest problem with the commanders uh, I'm going to say yes and the re- I think the reason being is because we know that the the commanders have talent. Like, they have a good defense, defense on front, even though Chase Young hasn't been back, I don't believe. No, I haven't heard anything. He hasn't been back. Um, Like, they have, like, Antonio Gibson and... Before he was previously shot, Brian Robinson looked like they could be a good duo at running back. And they have Terry McLaurin, who is a good wide receiver. And they also have a good secondary wide receiver. Um, so it's like, they ha- very similar to the Panthers, where it's like, they have talent. And I mean, you look at it, I think it wasn't last year, but maybe a year ago, the Commanders were in the wild card round in the playoffs. Yep, with Taylor Heineke with Taylor Heineke and it's like Taylor Heineke isn't a world beater at quarterback so yeah and I know people were thinking that he might be starting for the um for the commanders but then you insert Carson Wentz and it just hasn't worked out so I definitely think that he's played a big part in um in why they haven't had a successful season I agree he's played a big part, but I don't think he's I I would call buffoonery that he is the biggest problem. Like he's very close to being it, but I think that coaching hasn't been great. Like on the whole, both on both sides of the ball. Like their secondary has not played well 
their run defense has struggled. I mean, they've had a hard time generating much of a pass rush since Chase Young has been hurt. Montez Sweat has been pretty good. Uh, but just I just think overall, like, this team, while they have sprinkles of talent, like we know Chase Young, when he gets back, he'll be cool. Montez Sweat, Jonathan Allen um, on the defensive side to the ball. Offensive, of course, Terry McLaurin, AG, is another great guy. But I just think that this team is – it's not – it's just not a good team. And I know that Carson Wentz is going to catch the brunt of it because he is the quarterback. But the thing is, Washington knew the quarterback that they were getting when they traded for him. There was no secrets. We all know who Carson Wentz is. And Carson Wentz is not good. This is not me saying that he is. But looking at the commanders, I think that their problems are much more deeply rooted than just Carson Wentz because they had these same problems, if not more, a year ago. So I'm not going to put it all on him. But, Ethan, I know you're going to be excited about this. Uh, following the Giants' win over Green Bay in London, um, Roger Goodell was asked about the future of the NFL in Europe and said, there is no question that London could support not just one franchise. I think two. I really believe that. So, believable or buffoonery, we will eventually see an NFL team in London. Believable because it's a money grab, but it's a from us from a fan standpoint, and honestly, I think from a player standpoint, is like players that will play home like away games in London is the dumbest thing ever. Yeah, I'm gonna call buffoonery on it just because I think that the travel is too difficult. It's one thing to have a game in London two, maybe three times a year. But I think having a team centrally, centrally located in London and having eight to seven home games, then you also have to factor in, well, these games are going to be played at 8 o'clock in the morning. And if it, God forbid, if, a, if it's a high marquee game, you can't have Sunday night games over there. Like, I just think that it sounds good. And I feel like it's kind of a way to, like, give hope to London fans. And maybe there'll be more international games on a consistent basis. But on the whole, I don't think it's a realistic possibility just because I feel like having to pay for travel, having to pay for TV deals, having to try to get all of those things set up, especially with how difficult it is to even have a professional NFL team in a city and trying to get one in London, dealing with time zone differences and everything. Yeah, no, I don't I don't think that's going to happen. But all right, last piece before we make our game picks for week six. You touched on it a lot earlier. There have been some questionable rough in the passer calls this week. The first one, of course, came in the Falcons-Bucks game where Tom Brady was sacked on a pivotal third down by Grady Jarrett. Refs called rough in the passer. Bucks won that game. Next Monday Night Football, Chris Jones gets a strip sack on Derek Carr, which could have potentially uh, given the Chiefs a score before halftime. Rough in the passer calls negates that play. And it's definitely gotten people riled up. For example, one of those people is Micah Parsons, who is just a star, who said, we won't call uh, blindside blocks, but we'll call rough in the passer. Can we focus in and protect defensive players? More, Even more people have chimed in on the conversation, one of which uh, being Michael Hurley, who said this, I know we overreact to penalty calls, but the rough in the passer call on Grady Jarrett against Tom Brady was one that legitimately makes me wonder about the legitimacy of the sport. It was a routine tackle. So many people have had so much to say about these penalty calls. And sure, referees have kind of tried to explain why they did it. And 
But unfortunately, the league said that they don't have any plans of reviewing roughing the passer calls. They're just going to stick with what the refs call. So believable or buffoonery, the NFL cares more about its own image than it does defensive players. Hold on. Before I answer the question, the Grady, the Grady Jarrett tackle, that's like the most sim- that was like the most simplest form of a sack ever. Right. Like Grady Jarrett hit the ground first before Tom Brady did, and then he just rolled over. Like it, like the Derek Carr one, when I saw it, it's like okay, he landed on him, and I know that they have an emphasis on defensive players landing on quarterbacks, but it's like mm, they're still not a roughing the passer call. And like I said before, am I wrong in thinking that like in previous seasons, the only time I ever heard of roughing the passer calls is after the quarterback threw the ball. It was very rare. I know Baltimore would get called on it um, when we would sack Big Ben. Just because, I mean, Big Ben is a big mofo. So, if you're going to sack him, you got to use all your will. So, no, it yeah. rarely does get called on that. But, yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, because I'm like, so when did they start calling it when quarterback still had the ball in their hand? Um, so, that, that just threw me off to begin with. But to answer your to answer the question, Yes, the NFL cares about their enemies more than they care about defensive players. Um, we can count numerous instances where the NFL has put the image of their overall league over player XYZ or specific player groups. Um, so, yes. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you on that. It's it's a bad look. And I understand most of this is in response to the Tua Valoa thing. I get it. I understand. But that doesn't make it right. So I hope that it changes, but we shall see. But, all right, let's go ahead and make our game picks for week six, starting off with another Thursday night banger. The one and four Washington Commanders go to Chicago to face the two and three Chicago Bears. Low-key, this was a really hard game for me to predict. But I'm gonna go Commanders. Before I answer, which team? Thank God the Grizzlies have a preseason game tonight because I'm not watching this game at all. I'm gonna watch um, it. I'm not gonna have. I'm not gonna love it. But dang it, I'm gonna watch it still. I am going to go with the Bears. Okay, I, I figured. All right, next up, the Minnesota Vikings versus the Miami Dolphins. Just a heads up, Tua Tungvaloa and Teddy Bridgewater will be out of action, meaning Skylar Thompson will be getting his second start of the season. But to be honest, I was going to pick the Vikings anyway. Yeah, I was picking the Vikings. Unless, that's why I would have picked the Dolphins if Tua, if Tua was playing. I, I still go Vikings just because who's going to stop Justin Jefferson? That answer has yet to be answered. Uh, but, I mean, don't get me wrong. Dolphins got some dogs, too, and Jalen Waddle and uh, Tyreek Hill. But I think Tyreek Hill is hurt, but we'll see. Uh, a Cleveland Browns versus the New England Patriots. I could hockey see this game going any either way, but I think I'm going to give the nods to the Browns. Really? Yeah, I mean, Nick Chubb has been amazing. And – I know the Patriots are one of those teams like they take away what you do best, which is nice. But also, I like Ramondre Stevenson, but he ain't—he's not going as hard as Nick Chubb is. That's true. 
and it's hard for me because Nick Chubb has been like the shining darling on my fantasy team. He's been amazing. Tell you gonna lead the uh, league in rushing this year. But I'm going to say I'm gonna say Patriots. I think they're like they might give up some yards to Nick Chubb, but I think their defense overall is gonna, especially their defense, is gonna stop the uh, Browns passing game. I hope you're right. Yeah. Yeah, because I think. Madrew Don's going to go off. I think he's going to have a great game. I hope you're right, though. Uh, San Francisco 49ers versus the Atlanta Falcons. I got Niners. I got Niners. Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. I got Bucks. I got Bucks in a blowout. I, I, I do, too. But I do think the Steelers get a touchdown this week. Najee, at least slide me 50 yards, please. Just 50 and a touchdown. Please, bro. That's all I ask. Because I benched like, him on one of my teams. But good God. Like, no, before we go on, this is what frustrated me this past week. Raheem Mostert has been sitting on my bench. Doing nothing. Every game. This past week, that man had 19 points, and Najee Harris had six. I totally understand. One of my teams, I benched him for uh, Clydro. He really didn't do anything. He had a touchdown get called back, but that was about it. But, I mean, I still want to say he gave me more points than Najee Harris. So, no, I get it. Uh, uh, okay, it's the Dome coming. The Cincinnati Bengals, more specifically Jamar Chase and Justin, I mean Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow, head back to New Orleans to play the New Orleans Saints, a.k.a. where we won our national championship. I got Bengals, though. Hmm. I guess Saints. They can't block nobody, and I think Cam Jordan got here. I mean, yeah, but they can't cover nobody either. It's the, That's true. It's the dome coming. It's the dome coming. All right, my Baltimore Ravens take on the New York Giants, which, interestingly, their defensive coordinator, Wink Martindale, was our defensive coordinator and on our staff for over a decade. So if anybody knows how to match up against Lamar Jackson, it would be Wink. That don't matter. I still got Baltimore, though. Yeah, I got Baltimore as well. Green Bay Packers versus the New York Jets. I'm picking the Packers, but I would not be shocked if they lost. I'm picking the Jets. Okay. Uh, Jacksonville Jaguars versus the Indianapolis Colts. AFC South games. What a blast. I got Jags. Yeah, me too. Los Angeles Rams versus the Carolina Panthers. The Panthers better not win this game. I got Rams. I got Rams. Kansas City Chiefs versus the Buffalo Bills. This is a tough one, but I'm going to go Chiefs. Go Chiefs. I'm going Bills. I think the Bills. I think the Bills trying to get it back in blood. Yeah, but that see that's my thing. Like in the regular season, like these past two regular seasons, because they they kicked the Chiefs butt last year Sunday Night Football, and then they lost playoffs, and that's kind of been the story of the two teams. And while I could definitely see the Chiefs losing this game, I just it's hard. I'm sorry, I have a hard time going against the Chiefs right now. In my opinion, they are. A very it's like one A one B between the Chiefs and the Bills in terms of like best AFC team. It just depends on the day for me, but well, it's gonna be a great game regardless. All right, Sunday night football, Philadelphia Eagles versus the Dallas Cowboys. I think the Cowboys' cute little run comes to an end on Sunday night. I got Eagles. Yeah, I think it's gonna. I'm gonna be honest. I think it's gonna be a a lower scoring game than people might think. Oh, for sure. But I think the Eagles going to pull it up. I'll say this. If anybody gets three touchdowns, I'd be shocked. I could see it being 17-10. 
for sure. I, I could definitely see that. All the right. Most see. You said what? I was gonna say the most. The most I could see is twenty four seventeen. I'd be shocked if it was that. But, yeah, I can see it. Two good defenses. All right, last but not least, Monday Night Football. Once again, the Broncos are on prime time, baby. They will be facing the Los Angeles Chargers. As much as I want my brother-in-law to have a redemption game, get back to 500, I got to go Chargers. Yeah, ain't no way I'm going Chargers. Yeah. Now, if he proves me wrong, I- I'd love to see it. But, realistically, no. All right, Ethan, who is the offensive, defensive, and rookie you are watching this year, this week? Offensively, I'm watching Josh Allen. Um, yeah, that's a big game. And the reason I, the reason why I think the Bills are going to win it is because I feel like whoever wins this game is going to potentially get the number one seed in the AFC. Right. So if the Bills win... I think it would be drastically different in the postseason if the Chiefs have to come to Buffalo and play in a super cold, in a super high wind in Buffalo. Like, I think that could affect a lot. So I think they're, look, they're thinking about that, and that's going to fuel them. So I'm going to go Josh Allen okay. on offense. All right. Uh, offensively for me, I'm watching Daniel Jones. You mentioned it earlier. Baltimore has had some struggles stopping the run. And, I mean, we all talk about Saquon. Saquon is a bad mofo, especially when he's healthy. But Daniel Jones can move around, too, and get pretty active. So, I think if he is able to take the Ravens' defense off balance, which is going to create more opportunities for Saquon Barkley in the backfield, they could possibly win their fifth game of the year. Not that I want them to, but it's a chance. All right, defensively, who you watching? Defensively? Oh, I already know who I'm watching. Your boy, Big Play Slate. Boy, gay, gay. Yeah, I think he's going to have a good game. All right, uh, defensively, I'm watching Marshawn Lattimore. I know I just said I didn't know who was going to cover him, especially because, I mean, he has not exactly had the best games. Uh, DK Metcalf gave him that work. Justin Jefferson gave him that work. It hasn't been pretty for Mr. Lattimore. And then he has another test in Jamar Chase. So if he can have a game where he slows them down, especially if T. Higgins doesn't play, the Saints definitely have a shot. But if not, it ain't happening. And then we go Ricky. Who you watching? Ricky. I'm honestly going to go back to your Ravens. I'm going to look at Kyle Hamilton. Yeah, he's got to play a lot more now since Marcus Williams is gone. Oh, heartbreak. Uh, for me, I'm going Jags linebacker Devin Lloyd. And I'm saying this with assuming that uh, Jonathan Taylor is going to be playing this Sunday. I mean, let's be honest. Jonathan Taylor has been pretty quiet this year. And I think that with him coming back, they're going to try to get him more involved in the offense. And I think because of that, that's going to put the Jags linebackers to the test and really see what they're going to be able to do. Devin Lloyd has been their best linebacker. And I'm interested to see how that all shakes out. And last but not least, who are you calling out this week? Can't call out the Titans because we're on the bye. Yep, um, they got the week I'm off. Calling out Lamar, bro. He better not lose to the Giants. Who are you like, telling? <laughs> you're my favorite quarterback in the NFL. You're that dude. Please don't lose to them because, like, I think he's cute. This little Giants, like, um, like momentum story. Yeah, this is nice. Is cute, but I'm still pissed that we lost it in week one. And yeah. really, the only lost it was because of a blown coverage by Christian Fulton. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're right. Uh, for me, I'm calling out the Packers. I know you're down on the Packers. You think they in trouble. You think you think it's a wrap. But I, I still, I believe in Aaron Rodgers. More specifically, I believe in Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon being on my fantasy teams, and I'm starting Alan Lazard this week. So I need y'all to get it going. I need the offense to stay consistent. They had a lead over the Giants, but they blew it. Defensively, they need to get it together. And while we both know the Jets have some solid players on them, I mean, you're the Packers. You lose to the Giants in London, okay, I guess. It's not ideal, but it is what it is. But if you lose to the Jets, and yes, the Jets are more competitive this year, but still... It's going to be some problems up at Lambeau. So, Giants, get it together. But, all right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. Let's start off with somebody who I also have a bit of a soft spot for, and that is point guard Kimball Walker. Since being traded from the Knicks to the Pistons and essentially bought out, uh, Walker says that he has his phone has been pretty silent regarding calls from teams. He said, nobody's reached out to me. I just want to be able to play basketball again. I don't care if it's the bench or not. So, Ethan, it is October. Season starts next week. I don't think he gets signed before the season starts, but do you think he gets signed before the end of 2022? Uh, I, nah. I think he'll get signed in the latter half of the season, maybe closer to the playoffs. You might a team might take a um make a call for him just to have some like veteran point guard play on their bench if they need to go to him. I could see something like that happening if uh Somebody got hurt. If a point guard got hurt, they needed depth. I could see a move like that happening. So but yeah, before the end of this year, I don't I don't think so either. All right, moving on to Charlotte, some unfortunate news. Uh, LaMelo Ball has been diagnosed with a grade two left ankle sprain and is expected to miss the start of the regular season. His timetable is unknown, but it is unfortunate because he is essentially the best player on the Charlotte Hornets. But let's talk about the big news, the thing that everybody's been talking about, and that is the, the punch from Draymond Green to Jordan Poole. Now, earlier this week, it came a video was leaked of Draymond punching Jordan Poole and everybody has seemed to have an opinion on it from NBA players, NFL players, and then just fans like you and I. So let for starters, in your opinion, do you think it was a sucker punch? Because honestly, I don't think so. I do. And the reason I the reason I think it was a sucker punch is because Jordan Poole wasn't necessarily, from the video that you saw, Jordan Poole really wasn't looking at Draymond. It was one of those things to where, like, I don't know if you've been in situations where you, like, talk trash or you argue with somebody and you, like, you're looking past them as you're talking. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. So, like, that's what Jordan Poole was doing. And, I mean, I feel like it's ultimately like a sucker punch because it's like, it's the way that Draymond hit him. That's why. Like, obviously, we've heard of fights and things happening in practice, especially, like, in the NBA and the NFL. But, like, it was just, like, he, like, the way that Draymond hit him was, like, it was real beast between them. Fair. And granted, it might be, but, like, he hit him like they were in Memphis and the and Mount Mariah on the precinct and they started talking and then a fight broke out. It wasn't like a you know 
I'm like a man get out of my face, something like that. Yeah, like, because typically, and this is the thing, like, typically when you hear about athletes punching other athletes or things of that nature, it's a little bit of embellishment on it. Like, it's, more times than not, you might see somebody get mugged and they call, or mush, and they call it a punch. Like, Draymond punched him like he wanted to knock him out. Yeah. You're right, but the reason why I don't think it's a sucker punch is, you and I talked about this off the air, but it's like, one, Jordan did push him. It's not like he just was like, man, whatever, was turning away and got punched. Like, he did push him. And you and I both agree, we don't think that Jor- that Draymond is one of those guys who's just going to get in a shoving match with you. Like, if he's in that mode or if he's that ready, you he's swinging. And that's the case. And so that's why I don't think it's necessarily a sucker punch. Like, I'm not saying he should have just went full throttle, like KO'd the guy. But I do think that, I, I think that, I'm not going to, I don't know who initiated it. But in terms of physical contact, Jordan Poole did start it. But I do agree with you in the sense of it looked like Draymond had been waiting to punch that man. I don't know what, why. Like, reports have been coming out that Jordan Poole's been kind of acting a bit different since he knows he's getting a big contract extension or whatever. But either way, I don't think any, like you mentioned, I don't think anybody expected to be like, like what the video showed. But I, I don't think it's a sucker punch. And so, of course, when people saw the video and expressing their thoughts, one of the clearest things is, well, how is this going to affect uh, Draymond's future extension? I believe he's on the last year of his deal in uh, Golden State in the offseason. Early in offseason, he mentioned that he wanted a max contract, felt like he deserved it. Let's say, for example, he did, the Warriors see this incident and don't think they want to give it to him. Now, Stephen A., after watching the video, said that he thinks that if Draymond was going to leave, he'd want to be a Laker. Um, he added, Draymond Green is expecting this to be his last year in Golden State. Now he want to be a Laker. He ain't going to tell anybody that, but I don't think I don't know. He'd prefer to be a Laker if he got to leave Golden State. Now, he does have a $27.5 million player option next year. But who's to say he wouldn't try to look for greener pastures? So, Ethan, if you had to guess, do you think that this is the last year that Draymond will be in Golden State? Uh, I, unfortunately, because I'm a Dr- I'm a huge Draymond Green fan outside of him kicking LeBron James and Steven Adams in the, in the Nards, um, I think it is. And I think a big reason why I believe so is because this incident with Jordan Poole is something that has become um, a common thing with Draymond, but I think this punch has crossed the line. Like, granted, we all know the incident that happened a couple years ago with Kevin Durant and how, like, they got into it on the sideline and how that, in some ways, kind of convince KD to leave Golden State and go to Brooklyn. Um, And rightfully so, Draymond is the heartbeat of that team. And this is the nature of things that are like the heartbeats. Like, it could be your greatest strength and it could also be your greatest curse. And I think right now, at least for the time being, we're starting to see the curse side of Draymond again. Like the other instances where, like the aforementioned kicking LeBron in the in the testicles in the NBA Finals, like that's something that 
there's like that fine line that you don't cross. And Draymond has had specific moments where I think he has gone above that line. Like the KD situation, I honestly believe that it needed to be said and it needed to happen. Right. To like keep KD in check. But like that's just something that I think it's more like the KD situation is more or less the timing instead of in the place that it happened. Like you don't want to see you you don't care if it happens in the locker room or at a practice, but for it to happen on national television in the middle of a game at the end of a game and then with this Jordan Poole incident, like yes, it happened at practice, but it got leaked out for whatever for whatever reason it got leaked. So it just says it's a bad light on him as a player and like the organization if they kind of deem that I won't say they deem their behavior appropriate but like don't kind of punish him to a certain extent for that kind of behavior yeah cause I know he's not getting suspended they said he was just gonna get fined which I mean I think he can live with that but yeah, I, I'm, I agree with you. I think that, especially if you look at just from a number standpoint, coming up for extensions is what? Draymond, Jordan Poole, and Andrew Wiggins. And I think that if Jordan Poole can carve out another big year like he did last year when high key he should have been in the conversation for a most improved player, but that's a whole other conversation. I do think that it's going to be hard to let him walk out the door. It's going to be harder to let him walk out than Draymond. Because like you mentioned, I mean, videos like this, like they, you don't live these down. People are going to be talking about this for at least the rest of the year. Of course, especially once they have nationally televised games. I'm sure they're going to show it or they're going to talk about it. Like, well, how's the chemistry going in uh, Golden State? Are Jordan Poole and Draymond cool? And God forbid Draymond get into it with anybody else about anything, especially not his own teammate. So, yeah, no, I think it is unfortunately going to be coming to an end, even though I do think that it's weird because we know the Splash Bros. We get that. Clay and Steph are remarkable. They're amazing. But like you mentioned, like Draymond is the heartbeat of that team. And while it may not always be pretty, he may not always be the most likable, but he gets a lot of stuff done there. So it would be weird seeing him in a different jersey. But we shall see. But all right, continuing on, we talked a lot about the Warriors just now, but let's broaden things out and talk about the Southwestern Conference as a whole, which, as we all know, includes the, my poor, poor Los Angeles Lakers, Minnesota Timberwolves, Oklahoma City Thunders, Sacramento Kings, New Orleans Pelicans, Golden State Warriors, Houston Rockets, Los Angeles Clippers, Denver Nuggets, Memphis Grizzlies, Dallas Mavericks, Utah Jazz, Phoenix Suns, and San Antonio Spurs. So, like I said, we're going to break down the, this conference like we did the Eastern Conference a week ago. So, kicking things off, Ethan, in your opinion, who is the most underrated, underrated team in the West? Honestly, I'm going to say the New Orleans Pelicans. And I, they made the playoffs last year with, with Al Zion. They also made the midseason acquisition of CJ McCollum. And I think that you bring back, you essentially bring back everybody from that team that made it to the playoffs. And then you add the addition of a healthy Zion who when he's on the court was averaging like 27 and 7 um and he seems to be like committed to playing defense too like yes he's shown some rush but I think that that team could be 
a really interesting team in the Western Conference if, like, they gel well. I feel you on that. Uh, not to copy your answer, I'm going to say the Los Angeles Clippers. I know that there are just so many questions surrounding Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Yes, they're coming back hell. They're coming back after almost a year away from the game. You don't know exactly what you are getting out of these two guys because while we've seen a lot of talent from them in the past, can they still be those same guys after suffering so many injuries? But I do like their chances. I think that the team has kind of – the team around them has been competent. I mean, last year they've still proved to be a pretty competent team despite not having stars. Sure, it didn't last, but I think that the Clippers have a chance to – I'm not – saying I think they're going to be a Western Conference finalist or anything like that, but I could see them winning 50 games if they can stay healthy, which, of course, is a big if. All right, who do you think is the most overrated team in the conference? The most overrated? It's funny you say that. I think it's the Clippers. Fair. Um, and the reason I say this is because, yes, they're bringing back Kawhi Leonard and Paul George from injury, and they're going to be getting John Wall back from – basically injury slash just not playing when he was in Houston. But I, the reason I say I think they're the most overrated is because I think the other teams in the Western Conference have all gotten better while they've dealt with those injuries. Like, when you first thought about, um, when we first heard that Kawhi Leonard and Paul George were teaming up in L.A., we were like, oh, my God, that's a great dynamic duo. Um and, like, Kawhi was a top player in the NBA. Paul George was in the 10 to 20 range of a player in the NBA. But when you look at the landscape of teams in the Western Conference, they have guys that can equal the talent of Paul George and Kawhi. Like, Memphis, you have John Morant, who could potentially be a top 10 player in the NBA. Phoenix, you have Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Um, Minnesota, you have Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns. As much as I don't like Carl Anthony Towns, he is a great offensive weapon. Um, the Lakers, when you have LeBron and Anthony Davis healthy, those guys are dynamic. The Warriors are the Warriors. Like I think all the like all the talent around the Western Conference is either on par or greater than what the Clippers have. That's fair. I mean, like I said, I think it really just comes down to the caveat of can they stay healthy. And un But unfortunately, over the past few years, they have not proven that they can stay healthy. And if they can stay healthy, then I do agree with you. I think that this is just going to end up being another lost year for the Clippers. And then it's going to cause them to make some business decisions about whether it's worth having both of those guys on the roster still. But we shall definitely see. All right, let's go ahead and move on to uh, – oh, snap. My most overrated team is the Minnesota Timberwolves. While I understand what they were trying to do in getting Rudy Gobert, I just don't understand how this dynamic of D'Lo, Rudy, Cat, and Ant is going to work. And I think – however, the team seems really confident in themselves. I mean, we all – we always talk about Kat saying they have two generational talents in their front court, and then D'Lo said nobody's going to want to match up against us, blah, blah, blah. But realistically, it doesn't matter if teams want to match up, quote-unquote, if they don't know how to work with each other. And I just think that it's just bound to be some dysfunction. So I think I'm not sold on the Timberwolves this year. 
But all right, moving on to a positive note. Top three favorite players in the Western Conference. You can go first. Top three favorite. Ja, Zion, LeBron. Okay. For me, uh, Kawhi Leonard is my three. I've loved me some Kawhi Leonard for a long time. It's just he hasn't played much, which is unfortunate, but... Yeah. Two, John Morant, obvious reasons, probably the most fun player in the league. To watch it in number one, Russell Westbrook. I get mad grief from being a Westbrook fan, but damn it, I respect his passion, love him, and I just wish he wasn't in, on the Lakers, which is a weird thing to say, but sometimes your favorite player is not supposed to be on your favorite team because it does not work. All right, so Ethan, top three players facing a prove-it year. Who you got? Kawhi Leonard yeah. for yeah Kawhi Leonard honestly Zion and Rook no Car Anthony Towns fair I got uh, Jaron Jackson just more questions of if he can stay healthy uh, James Wiseman Warriors spent what the second overall third overall pick on him a couple years back and have gotten. Barely anything far from him. Now, even though the Warriors aren't a team that are going to ask him to put up 20 and 10 every night, they drafted him for a reason, and hopefully this will be the year that he can show why. And then, yeah, I also have Zion as well for obvious reasons. All right, top three players you think are going to break out? Top three players I think are going to break out. Desmond Bain. Um... I don't know if you consider him a candidate for breakout, but Anthony Edwards and hmm, my third. I'm trying to think of other. Um, what's his name? Dang it, dang it, dang it, dang it, dang it. Keldon Johnson. Okay, I can see that. The Spurs need. Literally anything, so I can see that. Uh, for my my three are uh, Jalen Green out of Houston, uh, Kendrick Nunn with the Lakers. He's healthy, should provide a little some some off the bench, and then Bones Highland for the Nuggets. I mean, Will Barton is out. I think that he's going to come in and kind of fill that role and put up a solid fifteen, seven, maybe seventeen points per game. It should be a lot of fun to watch. All right, what rookie are you watching out for? What rookie? Uh. Jabari Smith. My okay. My rookie is Kenneth Lofton. And I don't think he's gonna play a whole lot for the Grizzlies, but I do think that he could provide some I think he could provide a very interesting like we're so used to everybody on Grizzlies just playing so fast and just being like bang bang boom with regards to Kenneth Lofton. He doesn't have He's not exactly the same type of player that they have, but I do think he could provide an interesting dynamic. Like I said, I don't think he's going to play a whole lot, but once he's on the court, I think he's going to force defense to kind of change how they're playing the Grizzlies because he doesn't necessarily fit their mode of player. All right, and then uh, bold prediction. What do you got? Bold prediction is, I'm going to be honest, if – Anthony Davis is healthy. The Lakers make the playoffs. Dang, you didn't think it was gonna make the playoffs anyway. If I, this is the thing, I y'all play out. In my opinion, y'all playoff heads is tied to Anthony Davis' health. Okay. Because if Anthony Davis is healthy, I understand the whole rush element, 
But when you have Anthony Davis and LeBron James, that is one of the that has been proven to be one of the best dynamic one two punches in the league today. For sure. Um, but the thing is, is how long, how many games are you going to get at, out from Anthony Davis? Because the reality is, they even though people put an asterisk next to the bubble championship, like they won the championship with LeBron and AD, and they didn't even have Westbrook. Yeah. So. That's, that's my bold prediction. I think if AD actually stays healthy, they make the playoffs. I think I think we make the playoffs this year. I just don't think we do anything. Unless we make some crazy trade midseason, I don't – my expectations are low. I think we make the playoffs and probably get bounced first or second round. Um, My bold prediction is the young Houston Rockets will finish as a top 11 seed. I'm, I'm liking what they're doing down there. I like Jalen Green a lot. I think Jabari Smith provides a nice dynamic. Kevin Porter shows some flashes. They got a chance. I don't think they make the playoffs or anything, but I do think they will be top 11. All right, who's your conference champion? Mine is a very boring answer. I think both fires are. I don't think with the Rockets, with the Kevin Porter thing, bro might be out of the league by the end of this year. Yeah, if he keep doing wild. stupid stuff. Yeah. Yeah, he'd be wild, and that's the only that's the only thing with that. Uh, my conference champion, the Warriors. Yeah, mine too. I wanted to go somewhere else, but I just couldn't. It's just not realistic. Uh, all right, let's move on to our game of believable or buffoonery. So, I know the draft isn't for another several months. However, there is a young man who has been getting a lot of attention, and that is I'm gonna try not to butcher his name, Victor Wimbanyama. Boom. From France, who has been any and everywhere and has been considered one of the most intriguing draft prospects in a long time. So much so that Richard Jefferson, former NBA veteran, said this. If LeBron James at the exact moment showed up, Victor Webanyama would go higher than him. LeBron would go two if he was the same age, same draft. That's a that's big words because LeBron was an incredibly highly touted uh when he came into the draft. So, believable or buffoonery, Victor Webanyama is a better prospect coming out than LeBron. No. I don't think so either. I mean, in being honest, I, I'm not, I'm going to be honest, I'm not a part of the Webanyama hype. Um, for, for one major reason, we've seen other quote-unquote seven-footers that have sim- that have shown similar skill sets as Wimbenyama not paying out. Yeah. Or like not or not be game-changing. Like case in point, Victor Wimbenyama is seven, what, seven-three? Seven-two. Seven-two. Is, how tall is Bo Bo? Seven-two? Yeah, I think he might be like seven-three. They, they very close to the same height. And when Bobo was in college, he had a very similar skill set in games to Wimbenyama in college. And he's playing, like, he barely gets ticked. And the thing is, it's like, so, like, I just don't, I think the thing of it is, it's like, it's an interesting thing to see a guy that that tall move and shoot and things. But we've seen it before. Right. <laughs> And my biggest thing is drafting. And even with this year's draft, like Chet Humbert, he's a similar player. He's not as tall, but he's a similar player that fits that mold. Someone that's tall, that's very mobile, 
and very and very athletic for his size, and he got hurt in a pro am game. Right. So like I know LeBron is an all time generational talent. I'm gonna be honest. I could look up in a handful of years and Wimbayama not even like not even um like he could be a bush. I'm sorry. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think everybody's just looking for the new LeBron. Like, every year, it feels like Ben Simmons was supposed to be the next LeBron or supposed to be a better ta- prospect than LeBron. Zion, another case. Now it's looking like Wimbenyama. That's great and all. And I understand LeBron is coming to the end of his career. Everybody is just hoping to find the next one. Just enjoy the LeBron we got because, no, I'm agreeing with you. I don't – I disagree. I don't – It'll be interesting to see what he develops into in the pros, but I just I'm not buying the hype. I'm I'm calling buffoonery as well. All right, you mentioned the bubble a little bit ago, and it's true. A lot of people do have critiques of the bubble. However, one of those players is not uh, Nuggets guard Jamal Murray, who notoriously had the best games of his career when playing in the bubble. During an interview with Taylor Rooks, he said that was the highest level of basketball being played because it was only basketball. That's um. That's some pretty high praise. So, believable or buffoonery, the bubble was the highest level of basketball we've ever seen. I'm going to call buffoonery, but I get where he's coming from, but I call buffoonery. Uh, I'm going to call buffoonery, but I don't think it's that, like, that big of a buffoonery. Yeah. <laughs> because if you think about it, in the bubble, especially when it got to the playoff time, like, it felt like we had a lot of really good playoff series. Like we had the epic Heat and Celtics series that I think went to seven games. Mm-hmm. We had the Suns and the Clippers when Devin Booker hit the game winner and he laid out on the floor like that iconic moment. We had Luca going crazy. We had um like we had the Grizzlies battling Portland in the play. Like it was some really, really good basketball being played in the bubble. I just want, I just don't think that it was the the height, but I do agree where it was really good because it was like the only thing that they could do was play with who right. and go back to that room. Yeah, I yeah, I do think that's why I'm saying like I get what he's saying because I mean that's it like. During COVID was such a crazy time to where like nobody really was doing anything, but in the bubble, I mean literally you're playing basketball. That is all you do. And it led to some of the most competitive games, particularly playoff games that we have seen. And I think I think that that's a plus, especially considering, like, a lot of the performances that we saw have yet to be replicated. Like, T.J. Warren is a prime example. In the bubble, was going crazy for the Pacers. Has done literally nothing since then, not to mention he's been hurt, and now I want to say he's with the Nets. So it's just, it was great, but I'm still, I'm going to call it buffoonery. But like I said, I do get where he's coming from. But all right, let's go ahead and recap Extreme Rules. All right, kicking things off for Extreme Rules. The Brawling Brutes have a hell of a fight against Imperium to win the Donnie Brook match. Ronda Rousey again becomes SmackDown Women's Champion, but Liv Morgan's remained all smiles. With the help of Scarlet and Pepper Spray, Karrion Cross forces Drew McIntyre to fall and pray. Extreme Rules serves as yet another reminder as to why Bianca Belair is the EST of WWE as she retains her Raw Women's Championship. The Judgment Day forces Edge to quit 
in order to save his wife, Beth Phoenix. Matt Riddle forces Seth Rollins to tap out to win the fight pit. And finally, Bray Wyatt is mother-loving back. Uh, on the night, I went 5-1, and one, while Ethan went 4-2. and two. My favorite match, personally, was the Donnie Brook match. As you guys know, if you listen to the uh, predictions, I have no clue what a Donnybrook match was coming in. But after watching it, I was pleasantly surprised. I thought it was a great match, and it was a lot of fun. I think that it's a really well-placed event, um, especially considering, I mean, I'm so used to Pete Dunne kind of being the Pete Dunne, and I haven't watched SmackDown, so I haven't really seen these brawling brutes in action. But in that match, it was a blast. I mean, really good time. Uh, next up, my favorite moment was seeing Rhea Ripley get active slash giving a concerto to Beth Phoenix. For those of you who obviously don't know, I, of course, am a Bianca Belair fangirl, but also I love me some Rhea Ripley, especially since joining the Judgment Day, and I was so excited to see the two face off at Money in the Bank. However, after a heart condition stopped Rhea from being able to come compete, she really hasn't been able to do too much in the ring, so being able to see her do things, um, ex Extreme Rules, was a great and welcome sign for me, and I'm really excited to see what it leads to because, yo, WrestleMania, click. TikTok, you know, I want to see Bianca and Rhea headline that mug because it's going to be amazing. Um, increased stock, I would say the Judgment Day really needed a win. I didn't want Finn to lose this match anyway. And so the way that they won it and just kind of in doing it in a way to keep Seth, I mean, not Seth, I'm sorry, to keep Edge strong and to show the Judgment Day are some ruthless, uh, is one of the most ruthless stables. I think that it was a terrific idea and really well booked. And it was a, it was a great way to keep them strong. And then, um, Decrease stock. I don't. I don't know if I really have any. Realistically, I mean, maybe. No, I actually, I, I don't really have anybody who decreased their stock. I think that everything kind of worked out the way they were supposed to in terms of booking, which is why I don't have any booking decisions. Like, I would have kept everything just about the same. I mean, maybe some time things I'd do differently. But overall, I thought it was a really well-paced and well-done show. Uh, my biggest WTF moment was the presentation of Bray Wyatt's return. Like, I think everybody kind of figured that Bray was coming back. But in the way that he came back was pretty sick so I'm so excited to see how it all turns out especially because I mean Bray Wyatt was such a entertaining and all-encompassing figure uh a few years ago back when he was in WWE full-time so I can't wait to see what this new iteration of Bray Wyatt is and last but not least my show grade I'm gonna give this bad boy a solid B plus I mean I think that Obviously, it wasn't a perfect show, but I do think on the whole, the matches were really good, really timed out. It was so great to have extreme rules where the matches were actually extreme, and it was just a fun watch. So I don't really have any complaints. Uh, but thank you guys so much for listening. That is it for this week's episode of The Export. As always, please sure check out TheExport.net. I repeat, TheExport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours, truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast on our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. I'm Raven X. Thank you guys again so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.